So you want to go back to Egypt? Are you sure? Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, here we go. It may be time for a tune-up. You know, with the situation around us changing as it is every day, a lot of us are being forced to look at changes, getting that tune-up, maybe a major overhaul. Well, now's the time. Things sure aren't normal. We aren't going to go back to normal. We're hearing people talk about that. It's not going to happen. Things have changed forever. Hey, here's the kind of questions where I'm going to ask you questions today. Just pose some questions. Now, I'm going to intersperse listener questions along the way as well. But I want to share with you some things that are being done, things that are happening right now. So I want to ask you, what idea do you have that you have not acted on? What do you miss about the old normal? How are you investing in yourself to prepare for more success? Is being too comfortable now keeping you from your million-dollar idea? All right, get ready. We're going to unpack some fun stuff today. If you don't come away from today's episode with about five new ideas of things you're going to uh, approach that you're going to initiate and start, well, if you don't do that, you may be stuck, but I'm sure going to rattle your cage today, so hang on. Quotation comes from Steve Jobs, familiar one. I'll read you more of it here in a little bit, but we're using for the quotation, the people who are crazy enough to think they can change the world are the ones who do. All right, kind of a set in the stage here. Our resource for today is the Mindset, Master Your Mindset course, new course that we've got out. If you go to 48days.com slash mindset, you'll see information about that. It's 48 short videos from me, a 24-page workbook to work through to change your mindset, make your mindset one that's open to new ideas. It's going to make you an innovator, make you a creator, put you into the next season of your life. Good news. Got a good news piece here that ties in. And then we're going to go right into some of the content I want to share with you today. Here's a judge that gave a drug dealer a second chance. 16 years later, he swore that same kid in as an attorney. Now, this is a pretty cool story. At first glance, Edward Martell This 27-year-old high school dropout had a long arrest record and didn't seem like he was a prime candidate for rehabilitation, but he was facing a 20-year drug conviction. And instead of giving him that maximum sentence, the presiding judge, Bruce Morrow, gave Edward probation and a challenge. Morrow told this young guy, again, 27 years old, that the next time he stepped into his courtroom, he expected him to have made something of himself, something big. He said, I challenge you to be the CEO of a Fortune 500 company instead of being out here selling drugs. Well, this kid took the challenge. You know, the judge says it was kind of in jest, but he understood, I believed he could be anything he wanted to be. So here we go, fast forward 16 years, and this just happened. 16 years and here's this kid back standing in front of Judge Morrow once again, only this time he's being sworn in as an attorney 
after passing the Michigan State Bar. Now, there's a long story in between here, but that's a pretty cool story. He went, he got his associate's degree, went on to score scholarships for both his undergraduate studies and law school. Then he was worked as a clerk for a while. Now, he had some obstacles to overcome to open the doors because of his felony background. He had some things that were going to keep him from being an attorney, but he got that taken care of and got approved to act as an attorney. Well, the, the judge says it's a crazy cliche, but some defendants, that's what they need. If you believe like I believe that they're, but for the grace of God, go you and me. It took some intelligence to get in and out of the kind of trouble he got into. I told him, you could be my son. Let's see how far you can go. And man, he hasn't finished yet. Well, you know, it reminded me of my friend Josh Shipp, S-H-I-P-P. Um, you may have seen him, some of the YouTube videos he's done or a show that he had. He says this, Josh was raised in a foster care program. He got bounced around and he was in trouble every day up until he was almost 18 years old. And then he was in one more foster care just for the period of time until he turned 18, could be out on his own, out of that system where other people were telling him what to do. And he had somebody who changed his life. And this is what Josh says. Every kid is one caring adult away from being a success story. Isn't that a great line? Boy, think about that. Think about the stories that you've heard about people whose lives were changed. I mean, a lot of movies done about this, books written. But I'm going to put a link to a little three-minute video clip of Josh telling that story. Every kid is one caring adult away from being a success story. And he's, of course, gone on to be incredibly successful. And that's his goal is to help other kids do the same. But here's, here's a note from the Center on the Developing Child from Harvard University. This came out a couple years ago. And they said, every child who winds up doing well has had at least one stable and committed relationship with a supportive adult. Now, here's my challenge for you then today. Choose to be that one caring adult. Who is there out there that's waiting on that one caring adult? How could you be that person? I'd love to hear your stories come back about whose life you were able to impact by being that one caring adult. All right. Back in 2011, this was when Apple introduced their Think Different campaign. And that's when Steve Jobs got up on stage, started that the introduction of that program, Think Different, with this. Here's to the crazy ones, the misfits, the rebels, the troublemakers, the round pegs in the square holes, the ones who see things differently. They're not fond of rules, and they have no respect for the status quo. You can quote them, disagree with them, glorify or vilify them, but the only thing you can't do is ignore them because they change things. They push the human race forward, And while some may see them as the crazy ones, we see genius because the people who are crazy enough to think they can change the world are the ones who do. Now that sets the stage for what I want to share with you here. A lot of people are talking right now about getting back to normal. It reminds me, and it was the leading I had, so you want to go back to Egypt. That was actually a song written by Keith Green. Keith Green was a really cool, uh, bodacious 
a Christian musician, unfortunately, died in a plane crash at a very young age, but he's got some great songs out there. And one of those was, so you want to go back to Egypt? And he talks about, you know, here the people were gotten out of Egypt, you know, where they were being abused, where they were being used as slaves. They got out of there, got out into the desert. Well, things didn't unfold as quickly as they had thought they were going to and getting to the promised land. They started complaining, and a lot of them said, geez, why don't we just go back to Egypt? Yeah, we were being abused and overworked, but at least we had, you know, roof over our head and food to eat. Well, some people right now are talking about if we could just get back to normal. Well, guess what? We aren't going to get back to normal. There have been monumental shifts in some things that have happened. Now, there's a whole lot of things, but two of those are education and work. Education, our academic system, I think, has taken a mortal hit from which it'll never recover. Now, if you think about the history of education, I mean, you think about when, when I grew up, wow, we, we had an encyclopedia set. That was our source of knowledge. We could go to that and find a lot of information. You think about how antiquated that is today when we can access current up-to-date information, you know, instantly. I mean, our encyclopedias were several years old, but they were still seen as kind of that source of information. Well, where do you get more information? Where can you access more information? You go to school. They have more books there. Then you go to college. They have access to even more books there. Well, Today, that's not really as relevant as it used to be. We can access information, and a poor kid in Nairobi, Kenya, can access any information, having access to a cell phone, which most of them do. In this pandemic, a lot of students have realized, why do I have to go to that campus, you know, walk across campus, up three flights, into a classroom, sit in a seat assigned to me, to learn what I can instantly have access to in my own room at home or in my own apartment or standing on a street corner with my cell phone for that matter. It's changed our perception of where information is available. The universities no longer have that captive information that nobody else has access to because we do. It's changed. And we're going to see changes there. And we're already seeing that with companies like Google coming along and saying, we've got a a program that'll give you really marketable skills, not just some elusive nebulous degree, bachelor's degree, but really marketable skills. You can go through the program in less than six months. It costs you $240. And we have 130 companies that are already signed up saying that they will hire anybody who goes through these programs that we've got. I mean, we're seeing monumental changes. And of course, the other one tied to that is work. I mean, a lot of people have given up on the idea of having to be at an office from nine to five. I mean, this pandemic has proven that remote work is feasible for many jobs. I mean, the idea that you have to go to the office, clock in, it just isn't true anymore. And companies are seeing that. We don't have to force people to be in a be in their seat, like being in a schoolroom, again in a classroom in their assigned seat, you know, from nine to five. Nah, they can stay at home and work. Do just as productive work. As a matter of fact, a lot of studies show that work productivity actually increases when people aren't constrained by all those other things that we thought were necessary parts of work. Those things have taken changes. I mean, those are we're never gonna go back to normal. Now here's 
What I want you to be aware of though, inventions, great ideas, innovations, they don't come when things are normal. They don't come when people are comfortable. They come when there's breaks in our routine, when circumstances show up unexpectedly and are often unwelcome challenges to our normal routines. Let me give you a couple examples. Van Phillips was, um, God, what, how old was he? He was, well, he was in college. He was in college and he was water skiing. He was really athletic. He was water skiing and then had an accident that changed his life. There was a motorboat. Another boat ran into him, cut his leg off, left leg off just above the ankle. Now that obviously threatened to put an end to his athletic active lifestyle. He was faced with the necessity of wearing a prosthesis so he could get around on his own without crutches. But this prosthetic leg that he had was really uncomfortable. It was stiff. It was clumsy. It was painful. And he thought, this is nuts. Now, a lot of people encouraged him just to accept what had happened to him. I mean, this is what we had available in prosthetics. He didn't do that. He started thinking, surely there's got to be a better way to make prosthetic. Now, I won't go into all the detail. You can check it out, Van Phillips. I mean, you can check him out. He's inventor of the Flex Foot brand of prosthetic feet and limbs. But what he did, he recognized people were making prosthetics. They were making artificial legs to look like a human leg. And he decided it wasn't important what it looked like. He was more interested in how it functioned. So he studied animals. The C shape of a cheetah's hind leg was inspiration for him, how he began to build something that was lightweight, durable, strong. And you see a lot of people today with artificial legs that don't look like a human leg, but they're way better in terms of comfort and functionality. So he designed this L-shaped foot. When you go back on the heel of his leg, it acts like a spring converting the weight into energy as the the person pushes off with each step. Uh, This meant that the the wearers can run and jump just as they could, even better than they could with the real foot. Now, at this point, 90% of all Paralympian athletes, so people who are in professional sports or athletics, you know, who have some kind of a a limb missing, 90% use his prosthetics. And you see these Olympic runners who run. Now, those legs don't look like a human leg, but they function better. That's the kind of thing that comes out of the unexpected change. All right, let me tell you a couple others. I just want to get your mindset here. And what he did was just simply took the situation that was unwelcome, unexpected, but not being in the old normal, forced him to start coming up with some things. And he developed this amazing prosthetic company now that services people and has made him, of course, a very wealthy man as well. Here's another one. Reed Hastings. Now, you may recognize that name as the founder of Netflix. How did that start? Well, Reed was charged $40 as a late fee at his local Blockbuster store for losing the VH copy of Apollo 13 that he had rented. You know, the old classic movie, Tom Hanks. Charge 40 bucks for being late. And he thought, there's got to be a better way for people to borrow movies. So he thought, what if he would send a DVD to somebody? 
Now, he believed that someday, this was not true then, but he believed that someday the internet would be powerful enough to actually support streaming, which is the way we do it now. Nobody gets DVDs in the mail, but it wasn't there yet. Now, he could have gotten bogged down in complicated business plans, examining the varied cost of shipping DVDs. I mean, the number of uh, uses a DVD can withstand or the, the losses he might incur on unreturned or damaged DVDs. And so, but he didn't get stuck there. This is another thing. I see a lot of people get stuck in complicated planning without taking that first simple step. You know what Reed Hastings did? He went to a record store in Santa Cruz and bought a used CD. Then he went to a little gift shop and bought one of those little blue envelopes. You put a greeting card in. He put the CD inside, wrote his own address on the label, put a first single first class stamp on it, dropped it in the mailbox. The next day he got it in the mail. He looked at it. The CD was in perfect shape and he thought, hey, this idea could work. He validated his simple idea and got to work. You know, some of you are sitting right on top of an idea that you've made too complex What's a simple step you could take to start that? And of course, Netflix at this point is, I mean, everybody just expects to have it. It's the big player in that space. We get our movies. They're producing their own movies through that. But it started by simply buying a CD, sending it to himself. He got it the next day in the mail and said, hey, this could work. I love the simplicity of that. All right, a couple more. In 2008, there were three guys living in an apartment in San Francisco and they couldn't pay their rent. All right. So just think about that a minute. Three guys can't pay their rent. What are they going to do? Rent's coming due. Well, they realized there was a big conference coming to San Francisco. Hotel rooms were really hard to find. So one of the guys said, what if we turned our loft? I mean, they just had a little space of them for themselves, barely space for the three of them to have a place to sleep. They said, what if they turn their loft into a a designer's bed and breakfast? They'd advertise it, comes with a sleeping mat and breakfast. So what they did, they bought three air mattresses. I mean, the kind you can get, you know, at Walmart for two bucks or whatever. Three air mattresses advertised this designer bed and breakfast for $80 a night. All three were instantly booked for the four nights of the conference. So three sleeping spaces, 80 bucks a piece. Again, this was back in 2007. So it's been a little while ago. All three instantly booked for the four nights of the conference. That's 960 bucks, almost a thousand bucks. That's how they tested their idea. How complicated was that? Very, very simple. They validated their simple idea and got to work. That's all they did. Three air mattresses, advertised it, boom, instantly booked, made a thousand bucks. And today, that little idea is worth $31 billion. Those three guys have done pretty well for themselves. $31 billion after their uh, initial investment of whatever it was for three blow up mattresses. Now, I got a note from somebody that I worked with about 10 years ago. His name is Matt. 
He says, hi, Dan, I've been forever. it's been forever since we talked. I just wanted to drop a line, let you know that I'm still referencing you as an inspiration and mentor on my show all the time. I also wanted to share this article with you that just came out today just to put a little more fuel in your tank when it comes to the impact you've had on people's success. And he likes me to an article. I talked about my, my show is at six episodes per week, and it's my full-time living. There was a time when I first started listening to you that I would not even allow myself to fantasize about the life I'm now living because it was painful and I didn't think I would ever achieve it. Today, I spend 100% of my time on my farm, work from home, and connect with people all over the world through my shows. It's really incredible what thinking different can lead to. And you were my pathfinder when it came to thinking different. Thanks, Dan. We're back to that Steve Jobs thing, thinking different. That's when he talked about the crazy people who changed the world. Here's, here's the deal with Matt. So Matt, when Matt came to me, he was a police officer. Now, he really wanted to be a farmer. He wanted to live on a farm. But that's, that's pretty tough to make work. I mean, that takes a lot of capital these days, a lot of land. If you're going to grow soybeans or corn or whatever it is or cattle, you have to have a lot of land, a lot of equipment. It's very, very expensive. How are you going to do that as just one guy, you know, wife, couple kids, pretty tough to do. Well, in working together, Matt came up with an idea and it was for a machine that would get rid of gophers, groundhogs. Now that's a real challenge for farmers. I remember as a kid, boy, we used to watch out for those holes. You hit one of those holes that's covered with weeds, it could whip the steering wheel around and break your arm. I mean, they were real nuisance. We had tried various things to get rid of them on a farm. Well, Matt saw this machine that would do that. He thought, well, I could do that. You know, I understand farming. I could do that. So he did that. He got this machine and it essentially pumps carbon monoxide down, eliminates the gophers. So he started doing that. Then he and his wife found a little 25-acre farm just outside of the town where they were living. And they purchased it. They moved there. So they got a few you know, cows and chickens and goats, but you can't really make a living from doing that. So he was looking for other things. So he started his own little podcast called Off Farm Income. You can find it easily. I've listened to several episodes this week. Then he created a course about off farm income. Then he wrote a little book for that. And then he found that there were there was not a lot of competition in podcasts about farming, and he had brands in farming approach him, like Pioneer Seed and others, brands in farming approach him. Would he do a podcast for them that was branded for them? Today, he does six podcasts. They're branded podcasts, so he's, doing, he's paid well from these companies for doing podcasts that promote their product. Six podcasts a week that he's doing. So he's a podcast host. He's an author. He's a course creator. Um, he's hosting for these other brands. He has sponsors for his own shows. He has book sales, course sales. He teaches some. He does still does the rod, rodent elimination. He has cattle and crops as his own farm. And he talks about he's living his dream life. Today, I spend 100% of my time on my farm, work from home, connect with people all over the world through my show. I mean, what a cool story. What did he, he validated his first simple idea, that gopher machine that he bought and simply got to work. His big dream was to be a farmer. 
Well, you could get lost in the weeds. How's that ever going to happen? And see all the reasons it couldn't. And that was kind of his mindset. He, he Incidentally, when he started with his gopher machine, he went for about really about a year before he then quit his job as a policeman. He had enjoyed that as a career, but he quit that moving toward what he really wanted to do. And now he's got these things developed. Again, it's been about 10 years ago. And the, the point is just start, start with what you've got. Start with what you know, build from there. Well, Hey, I got a question here from David who says, Dan, I'm now retired from my six figure paying job. I got a pension rolled into a Roth IRA and I saved about $600,000 in the bank. My house is paid off, so I have no mortgage. I'm on Social Security now, so I'm leery on spending. Does your worksheet on investing in yourself work for retired people who still want to have a side hustle? Now, he was responding to a recent mailing we did about the power of investing in yourself. You know, my belief that you ought to invest three to 5% of your total income in your own personal development to keep moving forward. So his question is, and we'll address it just as this, would I still recommend that for somebody who is now retired? My question back is, do you want to continue growing? Or do you just want to kind of unplug in your retirement years? Now, I see both. I see a lot of both. You know, where people just say, hey, I worked hard. I don't want to work anymore. I don't want to think about anything. Boom. I just want to kind of coast. We had dinner the other night with somebody. This is just reflective of the, the people that I choose to surround myself with, how dramatic this was to me. But we had dinner with somebody, and he's retired. And he was a PhD chemist, so he's, he did very well in a traditional career, and they're comfortable, they're retired, he doesn't have to do anything. But in talking to him, he's never listened to a podcast, wasn't really sure how podcasts work, but he's never listened to a podcast, he never heard the name Zig Ziglar, and he's never heard of the book Think and Grow Rich. I'm like, whoa, wow, we are in different worlds and we view, uh, goodness, stages of life very, very differently. Now, that being said, back to David's question here. So assuming you want to grow, and David, I know you. I know you're active in the Eagles community. I've met you at conferences, challenged you before with things that you followed through and done. So I know your mindset. Yes, the worksheet still does work. And I'll put that link to the worksheet. It's it's 48days.com slash invest hyphen in hyphen yourself. But there's a worksheet that goes through my recommendations for investing that in yourself. So if you want to continue growing, if you want to develop a side business, if you want to not just reduce every day the savings that you have, but continue to generate enough income. And I assume that you're generating enough income that it still fits the criteria that I talk about here. So let's say that you're, you know, if you're getting $3,000 a month in social security, you know, you're still going to be $30,000, $40,000 a year range, which means based on my, you know, based on my formula that uh, you're still going to have, you know, $100 a month or so to spend on yourself just based on the, the kind of formula that I recommend. So sure, I would recommend you still do that. You know, $100 a month, you can attend a local conference, you could subscribe to Audible, you can read a couple of books a month. I mean, there's a lot of things. As you start to increase from your side business, the income 
let's say that you're at $50 or $50,000 rather in total income, well, at 5%, which is what I recommend, that'd be $2,500 annually that you have to invest in your own personal growth. Absolutely, I recommend you continue using that till the day you die. I mean, you can go to a major conference, you can schedule a couple sessions with a coach, you can again keep reading books. I mean, you can uh, get some online courses through like LinkedIn Learning, Udemy, Creative Live, some of those. You you want you might want to go through like a Dale Carnegie Human Relations Program. I mean, that was a game changer for me as a shy little farm kid propelled me to having the confidence to teach, coach, find profitable speaking engagements. There's a whole lot of things that you can do as you continue to invest. And so, yes, I would certainly recommend that you do that. That you don't just unplug and try to conserve your savings and, you know, not spend much. So you don't eh, have fun. This is new season of your life. Absolutely. Now here's another one. I'm going to, this will be the last question that I address here today comes from Aaron. And he said, after listening to last week's podcast twice, I've had a variety of thoughts. And this is about being stuck. And I, in that, I told the story about a guy who was selected out of an unemployment line, who was on unemployment, broke, an immigrant, and he went to making a million dollars in one year with a little bit of mentorship. And he had that one caring adult. We talked about one caring adult who mentored him, but didn't give him capital, didn't give him unrealistic access to resources or anything. Just helped him with his mindset and how to think about opportunities. And so Aaron is saying, what's my stuck point? What's the difference between that guy who went from unemployment to a million dollars annually and myself? What's my stuck point? He says, to answer that, I believe my stuck point is comfort. I'm not comfortable and I'm not uncomfortable in life. And honestly, pretty happy with how most of my life and career is running its course. But running its course is also where I'm feeling a little trapped. I have three careers at the moment working for the state of Oklahoma. I'm in the Oklahoma Army National Guard as a chaplain. And then I have my own private practice for counseling with some stuck boundaries I still manage to be home at events for the family as well, but I'm working close to 68 hours a week. Plus, I enjoy what I do, but I realize that my current status is not sustainable for much longer and that my potential is really in my own business as my state job is limited for continued growth and opportunity. The problems I experience are a little awkward. I can build million-dollar contracts, programs, and content for others, but when I sit down to do it for myself, I feel lost and confused in what direction to take them. I have a book. I keep a business ideas, programs to build and content to create, find it easier to build for others than myself. Now uh, I'm going to be pulling some things out of Aaron's note here. And that's really, really significant. I find I'm, I'm stuck in finding the bridge to comfortable awareness that I can do this on my own and don't need the false stability I find in having a job. That's a tough piece for me. I know I can make money. I believe I can be a high income earner. I have no doubt in my skills and abilities. I'm just not sure how to pull all my ideas together to build a tribe of my own rather than for someone else. Even in my own practice, I'm, I'm self-employed, but not a business owner. Um, So as a counselor, it requires me to be present to provide services, doesn't allow the offer of time with other jobs to build passive income. I just can't quite quit my military and state jobs. 
I enjoy them as well. So it's becoming some conflict as to what my next steps are. I assume I'm not the only one in this position. Wonder what our next step could be. I need to be able to make changes without taking much of a financial hit. Capacity is maxed out for time. And honestly, I'm just feeling tired and a little burned out currently. Open to your thoughts and advice. Well, thanks, Aaron. You know, great insights and the things you've pointed out, some things that are really, really important here. The fact that you can build million dollar contracts, programs, and content for others. When I sit down to do it for myself, I feel lost and confused in what direction to take them. And then again, you say you have a book of ideas, programs to build, content to create, but find it easier to build for others than yourself. Just not sure how to pull your ideas together to build a tribe of my own rather than for someone someone else. Now, here's where I want to draw the line. And this is really important, Aaron. Before you go too far down this path of knowing that you need to build your own business, I want to ask you, do you really want your own business? Would, would you really thrive and feel like you were you know, doing better if you had your own business? When you talk about the joy that you get in helping other companies, other organizations. And here's what I want to, I want to hit right on the head. Don't think that your only opportunity for financial success is being on your own rather than being part of another organization. I mean, a lot of the people that I am friends with in the community we live in here now who are, they're retired. I mean, most of them worked for companies. I mean, they work for big companies, General Electric, Procter & Gamble, and these guys are millionaires because they worked for other companies and did it very, very effectively and then managed their own resources well. They're not just entrepreneurs that are driving around here in Lamborghinis and Ferraris. They're people, and they're people like doctors and people in professional positions like that, attorneys. Again, not really entrepreneurs. They just did something really, really well. I want you to recognize there's not just one path to having time control, unlimited income. Sometimes that is in recognizing your best positioning is in being part of a company. Now, recently on here, I talked about the EOS system, Entrepreneurial Operating Systems. And in that, Gina Wickman, who I've had on as a guest here, we talk about the distinction between what he calls visionary and integrator. A visionary is the one who comes up with the idea. They have the big idea. They continue to have ideas about how to expand the business and how to make it everything they wanted it to be. You know, they focus on the big picture, the culture, the client relationships, but those people need an integrator. This is a person who, who makes order out of chaos. This is a person who is, better suited to setting priorities. I mean, removing obstacles, getting the company from point A to point B. I mean, the visionary, yeah, could maybe do some of that, but it's usually frustrating to them to have to deal with that. Organizations need visionaries and integrators. You describe yourself, Aaron, as an integrator. I mean, I've had multiple people who have come through thinking that they want to be entrepreneurs And three years later, realize this isn't working well. I don't enjoy this. You know, I miss the camaraderie of being part of a team, you know, of going to the office. I mean, and I can think of two people coming to mind immediately who I worked with and one who, who actually moved 
from where he had been living to Franklin, Tennessee to be part of my organization and what we were doing. And he started his own things, but he just never really got off the ground. And after three years, I said, look, I think it's pretty clear. You are a great connector. You're great at making things happen when you know the path to run on. You need to be part of somebody's team. Somebody's going to love having you as part of their team. And that's exactly what happened. He got a job. Yes, it's a job, but the way he's compensated is really open-ended. He can rock and roll in that position. And it's such a better fit for him than what he was trying to do all on his own. So be clear about that, Aaron, on this. Go back and revisit. Um, there, there's a link in my personal response to you about um, a webinar that I did with my daughter, Ashley, where we talked about the differences between being a visionary and an integrator. So don't beat yourself up. It sounds like you've got things in pretty good shape here. And uh, it's not just your comfort that's keeping you from moving into having your own business. I think there are good reasons to have some red, to see some red flags here, to have some real concerns about forcing to move into your own business. You talk about expanding your counseling. So then you bring on other counselors. Yeah, I'm not sure that's a route that you want to take. You may be well suited to be an integrator for somebody who is the visionary. Everything you describe lines up in that way. Well, I'm going to wrap up with that. That's, that's a great positioning to describe. Thank you for opening up about that. I think it's it obviously is going to speak to a whole lot of other listeners as well who may be struggling with that, thinking that, well, being an entrepreneur is kind of the, the top of the heap. You know, when I can really get things together, really grow in my mindset and all that, I'm going to be an entrepreneur and have my own business. Well, not necessarily. I mean, we don't see that as a continuum or as a, a necessary hierarchy where entrepreneurs are at the top. No, not at all. There are a lot of work models out there. You get to choose where you function best. And you may decide that you want to have a franchise. Well, franchise is not really something that an entrepreneur is going to be excited about. There's too much control. But at the same time, there's extreme predictability. You get a Chick-fil-A, you know how many people to hire, when to be open, how much product to order. I mean, how to fix that food. I mean, everything is really structured. That's not something that fits an entrepreneur well, but it still gives somebody an opportunity to be in a business for themselves, but not by themselves. So we get to choose where it is. If you're part of an organization and you love the organization and you're part of their mission, you're part of the cause there and you love that, don't think that you need to move away from that to be really successful. That could be your success as it suits you very, very well. Well, my goodness, there's so many ways to accomplish this, to keep moving forward. Again, if you've had your normal shaken up, hey, that's fine. We don't want to go back to normal. Normal can put us in a rut and just get us content with just the sameness of where we are. Yeah, I want to see you keep growing, but that may be within the organization where you already are. It doesn't necessarily mean you need to sabotage that and go out and do something on your own. Now, at the same time, if you've got a creative idea like Reed Hastings or Van Phillips, or Joe Gibbio, who started Airbnb, or my friend Matt, who started what we talked about, where he now is a full-time farmer, but he's not out there on a tractor during the day. He's behind a microphone, just like this. 
but he still is living off the land, considers himself a full-time farmer. You know, if you've got a creative idea like that, then by all means, take that first step. Act on that. What is that first step that would put you on a path to develop that next big idea for yourself? Hey, keep those questions coming in. My goodness, questions, your success stories. And I'll put a link to the Josh Ship video where he tells his own story about every kid is one carrying adult away from being a success story. Some other links that I've mentioned here, you can find those in our show notes. You know, go back to those. And remember, our quotation for today was the people who are crazy enough to think they can change the world are the ones who do. So be crazy. There's a whole lot of ways to change the world. Keep us posted on what you're doing. Send those questions in to askdan at 48days.com. Again, just simply ask Dan at 48days.com. Thanks for being part of this community. I take your listenership seriously. I like that you spend time here each week. Tell your other friends about it as well. We'd love to see your comments and reviews on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for coming back here and thanks more than anything for being part of this community where we know, and this is, this may not be common. It's not as common as I thought it was. We know without any question, we can find or create work that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable. Don't settle for less.